Welcome to the Culture and Sports Podcast, where we have discussions about how leadership and organizational culture impact organizational success, team and athlete performance, and the short and long-term mental, physical, and emotional health of athletes. The Culture and Sports Podcast is brought to you by Culture and Sports. Culture and Sports helps sports organizations, teams, coaches, support and front office staff, and athletes understand the importance of leadership and organizational culture and its direct impact to success. Please join Lori Okamura and Dr. Jeremy Piasecki in this season of the Culture and Sports Podcast. Welcome back to the Culture and Sports Podcast. We would like to introduce a very special guest. He is the one, one of the best investigative sports reporters, not only in the United States, but in the entire world. He is a sports enterprise investigative reporter for the Orange County Register. He has covered 12 Olympic Games, five World Cups, four Women's World Cups, and championships in track and field and gymnastics, the relocation to the NFL in Southern California, and Los Angeles being awarded the 2028 Olympic Games. His work for the Register has led to investigations by the International Olympic Committee, the U.S. Olympic Committee, the U.S. Department of Education, the California Legislature, and the National Governing Bodies for Gymnastics, Swimming, Track and Field, and Badminton. He has also been cited in the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House of Representative hearings and investigations. He won the National Headliner Award for Sports Reporting and the Investigative Reporters and Editors Sports Investigative Reporting Award in 2023. He has also won 16 Associated Press Sports Editors Awards for investigative reporting since 1999. Welcome, Scott Reed. How are you doing today? Hey, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Lori and I are so excited to uh, to get to talk to you today and for the information that you're bringing to light. So please tell us a little bit about what you're currently investigating. So I'm currently investigating uh, this culture, the culture and climate of uh, the University of Idaho women's volleyball program under their second year coach, head coach, Chris Gonzalez, who is a former national team coach who was an assistant on this uh, legendary Long Beach State team uh, over 20 years ago um, and and has kind of bounced around uh, Southern California native. And it's it's um, had more than a dozen uh, current former players tell us about a culture of uh, uh, bullying, uh, body shaming, uh, denying players food, uh, physical abuse where he's actually pushed players over allegedly. Um, and then uh, the university's uh, failure to um, address credible allegations uh, for over two years. And um, it, it's, um, it's kind of a, um, unfortunately it's, it's a, an, uh, just kind of the latest example of this culture within sports in the United States and also globally, but especially in college sports where the people, the powers that be still aren't getting it. They're not, they're not, they're not listening to the athletes. They're not, they're, they're, they're more concerned about branding or did I, you know, looking like they made a bad hire. Um, and so it's goes back to, to the old Watergate uh, phrase. It's, it's the cover up. It's not the, not, not the initial crime. And so, uh, I think Idaho is this kind of um, symbolic of, of a larger issue where you have an allegedly abusive coach. And then instead of dealing with that, addressing these legitimate concerns from these, these players, you're trying to 
see what what our legal legal exposure is. Um, how do we how do we protect the brand, University of Idaho, or our you know uh, our our jobs or future, you know our position on some NCA national committee, um, and not the focus isn't on um, on the athletes. And this is what uh, I, I wrote about last year with the University of California with Terry McKeever, the swim coach. Uh, this is it's just it's 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 over and over and over again. And 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 it's it's unfortunate that you know we as a society and a culture in, in sports it just aren't getting it and um i think that's what's really frustrating is that the people whether it's an ngb or as a college athletic director as a college president uh it's a local you know ayso organization the people that who are empowered who have, have taken on the responsibility on their own they've willingly taken responsibility to protect kids or or or, or, or in this case young women at, at a university they're not fulfilling that. They they've they've dropped the ball, and so that, yeah, that's that's what the what I'm working at working on right now at the Orange County Register. It's been uh, the focus for about uh, probably the last four months. So Scott, how did you initially come across this situation? Do you have a child who's currently um, playing in Idaho, or? Um... Are you deeply networked into the volleyball community or to uh, NCAA sports in general? How did you come across this, and and why was it of interest for you at the very beginning? So, I I don't know if deeply involved in the volleyball network is. I, I you know volleyball is a huge sport in Southern California. We're kind of the you know ground zero of of of, of everything volleyball in the United States. Um, for a long time, the national team trained here. Um, uh, you know, majority of the players are, are, are from are from this region, uh, both on the beach and indoors. Uh, a lot of success uh, historically in Southern California. Um, and so, and, and unfortunately, volleyball has, has had a, a, a series of uh, abuse cases, uh, a lot of uh, sexual abuse cases. You know, obviously going back to um, um, the case in Chicago, the Chicago area. Um, um, there, there was a uh, this just, there's been a number of volleyball cases in, in volleyball um, so there was a case involving an Idaho a few years ago invited a possible title nine violation in Idaho involving a, a person a person from Southern California who, who was a prominent person in the Southern California uh, volleyball area and while I was looking into that case um, University of Idaho hired Chris Gonzalez and Chris Gonzalez was an assistant coach on probably the greatest college uh, volleyball team ever, a team that went undefeated, won the uh, final four. Misty May was on the team, um, and, and he was an assistant coach. And then he used that to, to become a, a national team coach, uh, assistant coach. And so um, when, he, when, when he was hired, a couple of people said, you know, keep an eye on this guy. Uh, he's got a horrible reputation for being abusive. Um, kind of the thing, a lot of the things that have come out now in, in the Idaho story. And honestly, I kind of lost track of him. Um, I was looking, um, there's, unfortunately, there's all kinds of these stories. And so I got sidetracked on the, the Cal story uh, and, and and other Olympic Olympic issues. And then um, uh, the, uh, the the Gonzalez thing came back on the radar a few months ago. Uh, uh one of one of my sources uh, said, "Hey, you might want to take a look at this." And um, 
and it, and, and, and we did. And, uh, and it, it was, you know, the allegations were pretty alarming. So Jeremy, you know, when, when Scott did an original piece, you know, on this story and, you know, me coming from the volleyball world, um, I found myself, you know, it's a long, very detailed article and, and, you know, I think, I think we're going to post it so that our listeners can, you know, can follow along. But, um, I found myself as I was reading your article, Scott, like, like almost, you know, closing my eyes and thinking, I've heard this story before, you know, at other universities or, um, you know, in, in on the, uh, at the national team level or, or at the, uh, club, you know, youth level, right? Like I've, things are, things are sounding like quite familiar. It's, you know, I would really point toward the fact that, you know, while I am not in directly the volleyball world, you know, anymore, I'm not a club director, I'm not a tournament director, you know, I do still have a lot of contact with people in the community. And I'm hearing from a spectrum of people, whether it's parents, club directors, other college coaches, you know, that you have the initial, well, this is the worst kept secret, like we knew about this, or I was surprised, you know, this person got hired or what. But then beyond that, you know, and you always hear that, right? Sort of the armchair quarterback approach, right? Oh, I should, I told you so, or I knew this guy was, you know, like this or something. But what I'm hearing beyond that, I think the importance of the article itself is um, parents, club directors, you know, say, hey, I just talked about this at my at my practice, like somebody pointed out this article and and told all of us kids, like, this is what you do if somebody is bullying you, right? This is not acceptable behavior. Here's an example, right? It's, it's required reading almost, right? For anybody who's in a position of, you know, accepting the, the awesome responsibility of, of working with, especially young children, right? Young kids, teenagers, young adults. Um, but it's also somewhat empowering to see how the the women at the University of Idaho have addressed their situation right I mean they they seem to have and I know we'll go into it but you know I'm really impressed with that group that they found a voice right they found their voice they also found a voice in Scott to help you know tell their story but I tell you the impact of this story and and there have been several you know follow-up stories that Scott has, has posted but the impact of the first story which I think is what like almost 10,000 words or over 10,000 words yeah. I mean, it's a tough you know the, the comments it's a tough read like it's a hard read but I'm so glad I read that article like that's what I keep hearing over you know and over is that people are learning something from the situation that these women at the University of Idaho women's volleyball program had had to endure right this abusive culture this um feeling of we don't know where to go next which I guess is the next question, right? What happens, like maybe maybe to hear some of the details involved in the article, but what happens next, right? So, so Lori, I think you made a really good point. Um, and I think this is something that people really need to, to kind of step back and appreciate. So when a guy like me comes in and I reach out to these women in Idaho or I reach out to these women in, at, at Cal or people who've been coached by Maggie Haney, the gymnastics coach, NAS or whatever, you're making a big ask of them because you're basically asking them to go over their abuse and mm -hmm. you're basically which is really triggering territory uh you're asking them to relive the most painful moments of, of their life and and um um and they're doing it because they it's the, an incredibly unselfish act because they know yeah, so so Chris Gonzalez maybe get fired, maybe gets fired, uh, but the real benefit of this is 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 some kid who they don't know, 
is going to not have to go through this with their coach. Right. And that's the, that's the, it's an incredibly unselfish act by these women. I mean, to have some guy, they don't know, you know, you know, you know, Southern California, talk to them and, and to, to, to numerous interviews and, you know, trying to get the, the, the precise details of what happened, something that's really painful that happened. And so, right. You've talked, Lori, you talked about club coaches and parents talking about this. This is the, this is the, well, for lack of a better word, payoff is -hmm. that some parent you know i've had had parents in previous stories say you know i read your story and i looked at my my kid's phone and and yeah her swim coach was texting her at 11 o'clock at night what the hell you know so it's 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 making parents more aware and it is a universal story it could Mm be you know it's it's in moscow idaho it's in berkeley it's you know in ohio all these different places Uh, unfortunately i mean that's but but i think people really need yeah, these these women in Idaho are scary strong. I mean, the fact you know people say, well, they you know they only won five games in two years. Well, women that are this courageous, that's not who they are. I mean, they're they're better players, they're better people, they're stronger people. That that they're obviously got got they have more heart, and and and, and so obviously that their their record should be a lot better because just who they are as people and and fighters. Um, this this is a really really brave group, but but again, it's just I think it's really important for people just to step back and appreciate how hard this is, especially yeah. in a small college town like Moscow, Idaho, where Moscow, Idaho, that's it. It's it's the industry, you know. Um, it's the whole community revolves around the school, and we're seeing this in kind of the, re- the response. And it's I'm really happy that the the community is rallied around these women, and I think they've rallied because they see that strength. I mean. Moscow, Idaho is a tough place, part of the world. I grew up in Washington State. Um, the Palouse, that area, that's, you know, it's it's not for the soft-hearted. And um, so the people that live there are hardworking people. Um, and they, they, they appreciate courage. They appreciate, you know, going against the grain. And um, so I'm glad that the community's rallied around these women. But it, it is. I mean, these women, they, they've taken a really unselfish step that's really not going to benefit them. I mean, their names in the paper, you know, the, the community has rallied around, but when they go around town and you say, Oh, you know, is that one of the volleyball players? You know, what happened? I wonder what happened to her. I mean, your, your whole life now is on, they put their lives under a microscope and, um, and it could be just, it could have been just, you know, easy and, and transferred to another school and said, you know, it's somebody else's problem. And they didn't do that. And, um, um, and it's, it's, it's just really admirable with what they did. Um, so about the report. So I've been doing this for about 20 years in terms of, of writing about abuse in, in basically Olympic sports, primarily Olympic sports. And uh, this, is, this, is, it, this is one of the worst cases. Um, there's allegations that um, uh, Chris Gonzalez pushed at least two players uh to the point where he knocked them over he's he's five eight ish uh he's pushed over women that were over six feet tall uh in a, in a drill where he got exasper- allegedly got exasperated and there were multiple sources on this um and where he would get angry insert himself in the drill when the drill continued to not go the, his way he literally pushed two women over and and um he inappropriately touched women uh, in a drill where he, he um, put his hands 
around their waist, lifting them up. Then they felt very uncomfortable. They expressed that discomfort and nothing was done. Uh, he, he put them in harm's way. I think Lori, as a, a someone who's been around volleyball all your life, you knows the first thing you tell you tell a kid is no balls on the court. Oh, ball yeah. Ball <laughs> you teach them. Play. Right. <laughs> and ball but, on, ball on. That's the call. Right, right. right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's, 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 it's a, it's, it's just, it's rule one, right? So one of the things he did was put balls around these women because he was, uh, he was upset at how they were not jumping up and up and up, straight up and down. And so he, he, he put them harm's way. He's done drills where uh, allegedly they, they uh, chase balls into bleachers. He's fired balls at their faces. Um, he's grabbed women. Um, there's, there's a bullying element where he targets certain players. Uh, there's a body shaming element. Uh, he's referred to women as linebackers. Um, in this drill where he lifted them up, he goes, oh, I, I didn't, it took a lot more to get you up than I thought it would. Uh, got, got on kids about their weight. Um, denied them food on, on travel trips. Uh, constantly talked about calories, what they're eating. If they, if they, if they were at a restaurant, if they took a piece of bread, he'd get the scowl. Um, uh, a kid, uh, a woman was benched for uh, getting a, a calzone at, the, at at an airport on, on the way back to, to campus on a road trip uh, because the Sabara was the only thing that was open. Uh, coaches had confiscated food, that the, so it's gotten so it gotten to the point where parents were trying to sneak food into the to, to the women on road trips. Um, and there was times where the coaches allegedly actually confiscated the food that the parents had left at the hotel for the, for the women. Uh, there was a, a, a case where they were on a road trip, traveled across country. Uh, they got to the East Coast. The coach said, uh, just, we're not going to give you a meal. Just eat out of your snack bag. One of the players ordered Chipotle on DoorDash or Uber Eats. And one of the assistant coaches saw it and gave her a lecture about it. It just really... Put, put a lot of shame on it. Um, what else? Uh, Chris, Chris Gonzalez has repeatedly ignore, allegedly ignored uh, the doctor's uh, instructions not to, for certain players not to practice or play, just blown through it. Uh, when, when players have sought medical attention during tr tr practice, he's, he's taken steps to, to pull them away from the trainer while the trainer's, you know, examining the, the player. Um, A lot of a lot of bullying, um, trying trying to run kids off, run, run players off, um, verbal abuse, uh, mind games, and the real issue with this is that this was first reported to Terry Gallick, the athletic director, in 2022 during the 2022 season. Parents complained with detailed um, list of allegations. And, and the, a group of women themselves sent Terry Gallick an eight-page, uh, very detailed list of allegations, including uh, at one point uh, talking about how Chris Gonzalez pushed Anna Pallur, who was a, a, a freshman on the, the 2022 team, pushed her over. They talked about the body shaming, the food denying, uh, the fat, uh, um, you know, all this, this focus on on, on, uh, on weight and uh, the a group of them wanted to meet with Terry and she would not meet with them. The group, she had separate meetings and then, and then it's, this went nowhere, nowhere. Um, so this is, 
I think the, the, the a big sticking point is that the school has now hired a law firm out of Texas to, to look into this these allegations, but they've only done it after after two years. What what why why wasn't the the outside law firm brought in in twenty twenty two? Why did why did another group of women have to go through this in twenty twenty three? And the other thing is is that he had a a big freshman class coming into the twenty twenty two season. Uh, an overwhelming majority of those women left after the 2022 season, why was that a red flag to the administration, to the university, uh, including one of the women that left last year was a, a woman by the name of Amy Green. Her grandfather uh, was a, an All-American football player at Idaho in the 30s. He ended up being a professor, the department head, and then the athletic director, and the guy who led the, the fundraising drive for the Kibbe Dome, which is where the football team plays. Uh, her dad's cousin is C. Scott Green, the president of the university. And so this, you know, this was an open secret. I mean, the, the school knew about this in 20, in the fall of 2022. Nothing happened until a paper in Southern California writes, you know, an almost 10,000 word in, uh, investigation about it. So why, why did it take so long? Why weren't these women heard in 2022? And, and again, this is unfortunately kind of the, you know, it's happened at Cal, it's happened at, you know, it happened at Harvard and on the hockey team. This is just kind of a, it, it's, it's, it's sad, but it's almost like fill in the, fill in the blank, what college town, what, what sport, what, what program. This is, it just, mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's like literally rinse and repeat and, and, uh, and then. But, but it, you know, that doesn't do these women who've gone through it any, any good. Scott, let me ask you a few questions here, just, just to put it in context. Um, so the first thing I want to talk about is in the state of California, um, a, a college student, once they are a student, it doesn't matter if they're 13 or they're 18, is considered an adult uh, in the realm of education, right? They are an adult, you know, right. as a parent uh, of, of a college student, regardless of their age, you cannot call up the school and say, can I have their grades? Can I have right. this? Right. Can I do this? Uh, without the athlete's consent um, or the, the student's consent. So in this case, when an athletic director receives a letter or phone calls from a bunch of parents and they're like, oh, this is happening, that's happening, why would an athletic director even be compelled to look into it other than the fact is there might be something going wrong, I want to look into it. Like, you know, I'm sure there's parents that call up and say, my kid needs more playing time. My kid is being unfairly, uh, you know, treated by the coach, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. Why would, why should an athletic director, um, you know, respond to a eight page letter that, um, that they would receive about a situation like this? Uh, because it wasn't about playing time. Um, so like one of the targets for bullying was a, a woman by the name of Kate Dorn, who was a freshman. She was one of their better players. She was like the first month of her college season. She was named uh, big sky conference player of the week. Uh, she was really talented and uh, is really talented. Um, so, yeah, I, I get it. I'm sure athletic directors, uh, everybody, coaches get, why is my kid playing? Or, you know, why didn't you throw it to the my kid? That that kind of thing. This, this eight-page letter was a very detailed account of 
allegations regarding d- denying food uh, on a, on a on a school trip. So they went to Jacksonville, Florida. I think there was one, two, th- two or three connections to get there. It was an all day thing. Get from Moscow, Idaho, to Jacksonville, Florida. Um, the body shaming, where uh, he's making remarks about you look like a linebacker. Uh, talking about he talked about women's butts, you know, the size and shape of their butts. Um, inappropriately touching uh, women where they felt uncomfortable, um, uh, pushing the player over. So this this is this goes. I, I think any athletic director should immediately go. Well, this is this is this is like Bobby Knight stuff. This is not this is not some coach yelling at a a player who comes off the field. You know, why did you run that route when you're supposed to run that route? And, you know, getting in his face and, sw- and even swearing. Like, we see that all the time on Saturday afternoons. This was this was a- at a different level. Um, this was putting women in harm's way. This was uh, emotionally abusing them, allegedly. Um, you know, impacting their health. Putting uh, when you, When your trainer is repeatedly telling the coach, this player cannot play. This player cannot practice. Uh, and, and then the the, pre, the coach pressuring the player to practice or, or play anyways, that's – I mean, he, he was allegedly violating team policy, uh, university policy by disregarding the sports medicine staff's recommendations. Um, so this was – it's just, it's just a, a whole nother level. I, I, I get, Jeremy, what you're saying it, – it, my my um my my son is a, a college runner. I I talked to his coach, you know. Uh, um, but it, it's um th- this was this was this was putting putting the health, uh, the physical and emotional health of, of these students in, in jeopardy. And and you, and again, like we when we started out, Terry Gallick and Scott Green, their job is is their number one job is to protect. Um, the, the health and, and well-being of, of their student athletes in all kinds of ways and and they from from what we can tell they shirk that responsibility so is it so you're talking a lot about health and welfare um you know and we've seen this dozens and hundreds of times uh, especially on the women's sports side of of calorie counting um you know Lori and I were talking yesterday um you know you know basically you know when it comes to calorie or or food counting um you know they relabel it as uh like high performance um you know dieting weight management weight, weight management. management thank yeah, you yeah weight management um, that was it you know, and and one of the things uh, a lot of people don't know, I was um, I was in the Marine Corps for almost twenty five years, and uh, being in the mil- in the U.S. military, the government owns your body. They they literally could say you can have this surgery, you can't have this surgery. We're going to prescribe you medication, you need to take it. Um, you know, we're going to send you to do this physical thing, you need to go do it, otherwise you're violating an order, right? So it's very simple. Um, isn't it the same thing at a college or university? We're providing you a scholarship or we're providing you an opportunity to play. Can't we tell you what it is that you can and can't do or what you can and can't eat? You can you can suggest, I think, and ask and give advice on on what is 
best for that athlete to get the best out of them in turn and then in, in, in return the best for, for this team um in in, in it's, it's, it's talking about food so for a college volleyball player division one player you need almost four thousand somewhere between 38 and 4200 calories a day these women were not getting that so you're actually you're actually harming you're you're you're, you're creating a, a a negative barrier for for their performance so you can't perform if you don't have fuel you know uh you know richard petty runs out of gas he's he's the greatest driver in the world but he 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 runs out of gas the day 2500 he's out of gas and so it's it's counter it's counterproductive um and i i don't understand this argument at all i, I see it a lot in, i grew up in track and field and see it all the time with with, with track coaches quote old, old school but even some of the new school you know it this is this is still an issue you can't perform if you don't have fuel and your body breaks down then you start getting hurt and you can't focus if you don't have fuel you're so in in this one road trip these women they started out getting up like two to three o'clock in the morning in moscow idaho and i can't remember if they left from pullman or spokane but they i believe i want to say they changed planes at SeaTac, and then they changed planes again at dfw and then they end up in jacksonville and i used to work for the land journal constitution cover university of georgia jacksonville is not an easy place to get to either you know it's not like you're going to miami or atlanta so they get there late at night and they got to turn around the next day and, and and play i as a coach yeah Am, am I taking them to In and Out or Fatburger? No, but you know, you you get good fuel, and this isn't about good fuel. Like, are you eating the you know the pr- proper uh, mix of protein and fruit and, and uh, carbs and all this stuff? This is this is not an argument about bad fuel or good fuel. This is this is no fuel, and you you just can't expect. So Lori would know this. I mean, so then they so they they go to this tournament and then they play multiple matches in one day and and so they've been deprived of food on that the night before the match then in <laughs> during the tournament they look around and 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 they're playing big schools you know big division one schools you know power five conference schools and and these players other schools are getting you know sandwiches deli sandwiches in between matches you know bagels all this stuff and the idaho players are saying you know oh eat, eat out your snack bags so the snack bag was like might be a piece of fruit, a granola bar, water, um, uh, a, a beef jerky stick. You know, it 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 wasn't four thousand calories, and so you're you're basically saying, why didn't you perform at at a high level when you didn't give them the fuel to perform at a high level? So it, it's it's you just I, I just don't I just never understood this this. I, I get that that some athletes, male and female, ha- have bad nutrition habits. They have bad habits about you know partying or sleep. You know, so all these things are important. But these are women who want it. They want to be successful, and and they're not, you know, eating at McDonald's. I mean, they need a McDonald's. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if McDonald's is the only option, there, yeah, because you need calories. And so, so this was. Um, I just think that this 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 argument about 
weight is is misguided um it 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 it, it you just can't perform if you don't have any fuel so all of this direction for um you know, snack bags and calories and, and good fuel versus bad fuel or, or just no fuel in general. This came from like doctors and dietitians at the university. They were mandating this for the athletes, right? So, so, right. So there's a, a nutritionist in, on the faculty, um, there's a professor and she was giving advice to the women on what they need to eat. Uh, and, um, and then she, she was, uh, my understanding is that she was encouraged them to, to, to supplement the, the snack bags, then to expand the snack bags, and then was giving them, uh, which you get their itineraries and say, look, you're going to be at, you know, Portland, Oregon, you're at this hotel, there's a Chipotle, there's a Whole Foods, you know, within, you know, so many meters of, of your hotel. And, and that it got to the point, and, and she was also interacting with the coaching staff, and it got to the point where he just was disregarding her advice so this is a woman who's who's a university professor whose specialty is nutrition and specific specifically sports nutrition because the nutrition for 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 you and i is different than you know somebody who's trying to be a an ncaa division one athlete and uh because there is a science behind it there there is a total mm -hmm. science jeremy you're right i mean you know this from being in the marine corps when you guys are going out there in Af afghanistan you know you want fuel you know and um uh, to, to be at your your most productive, and and this was what this this nutrition was trying to talk to, to Gonzalez about, and um, it finally she she basically was brokenhearted. I mean, he he was so dismissive and and disregarded it, and she was seeing impact on these women, how they were breaking down, um, that she just basically had to disconnect. Uh, but yeah, this so this wasn't this wasn't you know my my mom saying you know you need to eat this. Or, uh, you know, I think you need to eat that. Or this was somebody who, who really knew what they're talking about and was giving advice and counseling the coaches and the athletes and also trying to, to help them kind of finesse this in a way that would not create more drama within the, the team unit, but also get them what they needed to, 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 to thrive. And, 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 you know, she this, this nutrition. She just wanted these these players to to, to reach their potential, mm -hmm. and, and and it's and it, it, it's it 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 shouldn't be about counting calories on either side. You know, um, it's 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 about putting putting these women in position to do their best, which is what what everybody in this program's job should be. You know, you want them. I mean, you want you you want them to to, to to maximize their, their abilities. Mm -hmm. You know, Scott, you said, you said the word dismissive, right? Which is the word that keeps popping up into my head when I read about everything that's happened, you know, to these women, right? That they were dismissed of their initial concerns. They were dismissed of having anything happen, you know, in response to that. But really what all that, what we're talking about, like this, you know, this is more than, like you say, it's more than a, I want playing time or I'm not, you know, getting what I, th this is like, it would be like hiring somebody for your company and not giving them a phone or a computer or a pen and a pen, you know, and a pad of paper, right? Not, no tools, right? To get the job done. And I think the distinction here and what I, what I got so clearly from your, your investigation, your article right into this is that, 
the women keep saying over and over, and not just this year, but last year's women as well who reported, um, we don't feel safe, right? And that single phrase alone, you know, being dismissed by anybody that they tried to, you know, to say this to, right? And you look in the, you know, look at the details of everything, not just the, you know, the withholding of food, which is, you know, that we, we could go a whole series of the withholding of food, but, you know, it's the fact that they themselves, in their own words, you know, said more than once, like, we don't feel safe, right? We don't feel like, you know, we don't, not only do we not feel safe, but we also don't feel like, uh, we don't feel right, right? We're not feeling, you know, we're lightheaded or dizzy or, I mean, physiologically, right? They weren't feeling, you know, they weren't feeling quite right. And the, you know, the, the tools to be successful, right? They're, they're, all, they're plentiful, right? They're all around. They're emotional tools, they're verbal tools, they're physical tools, they're, you know, nutrition is all a part of that. And if they can't get the right tools, then they can't be expected to perform, you know, at their best because they're not being provided, you know, with the all the things that they would need to put together. It's up to them to put it all together, but th- it's up to us, people in the community that, that, you know, take responsibility for kids to give them those tools. And I was thinking just now of, you know, I mean, these are, these are, are elite athletes, right? I mean, we're talking about right. these women, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to continue athletic. We all, we all know the pyramid, right? I mean, every, every chapter of your life that you're playing competitive sports, it gets smaller and smaller, the opportunities, you know, to continue to advance. And these women have made it to a really impressive level of competition. But I think about, you know, not, not that long ago, I you know, stopped coaching and I, I started to do the team mom thing, right? The chaperone thing. And I remember I had this group of young women that were high school age, right? And we would pack a, sna- you know, a snack bag to them was those big two gallon, you know, Ziploc bags and then some, and we would stuff it with sandwiches and, you know, right. peanut butter and fruit. I mean, there was, there was, you know, tons of, of energy in there based on, you know, what they were going to need. And that was just for one day. Right? right. So when I, when I, you know, all, all of this detail aside, which is horrifying to me, like the detail is horrifying, but it comes right down to me to the fact that, you know, these women were saying, and, and some of them have said after the fact, you know, in, in interviews or podcasts or what, that we didn't feel safe. Like we still don't feel safe, right? They're afraid of retaliation or they're afraid of, you know, and to, to your point, when we started our session here is that this is a really brave thing that they've done in, in coming forward. You know, there's a, st- a statistic, I've done a lot of you know, research and Safe Sport International, which is an organization out of the UK, they have this amazing statistic about, you know, um, an athlete that's abused in their younger years, you know, their teenage years, right, about 15, 16 or so, oftentimes doesn't find the opportunity or doesn't come forward about the abuse until they're in their 50s. Right. right. And I, I happen right. to know some real life examples of of that, you know, unfolding. And I, you've done some coverage on some cases, um, you know, that where that has been the case. And these young women are what, 19, 18, 19, 20, maybe 21 at this point, you know, the, the abuse has gone on so long. Uh, it's quite remarkable, you know, that they've been able to step forward on this. But really, the distinction here, you know, along this line that we've been talking about is that they have said repeatedly, like, we don't feel safe, who else can we go to, which, which leads me to what what has been the sense? I mean, we know what the university's reaction has been, you know, to this point, which is very little. Um, but I'm really interested in the, the rest of the enablers community, right, that are surrounding these young women. Like, who did they try? If this was, if there was even a relative on the team, as you mentioned, that that might have had a, 
you know, connection to the university president, I, I would think as someone who's worked in administration and, you know, we all have had our, our, you know, our touch points, right? Jeremy, you, of course, have managed a number of teams as well, right? Sport teams and, you know, programs like it's, it's astonishing to me that, that it took a reporter from Southern California, you know, to get a tip about looking into this situation a year or so after it happened to really uncover what was going on. I mean, really there, there's a complete failure in the system surrounding these young women. And it has to be somewhat due to the enabler effect, right? Which we talk about every once in a while. I just wanted to get your thoughts on, on that. Yeah, that's a, that's a big part of it, Laurie. And you said something a minute ago, I want to come, come back to about they didn't feel safe. Yeah, yeah. There's two, there's two points I, th I think that you, you touched on that are really important. One is when somebody tells you repeatedly that they don't feel safe. They said this in, in, in these detailed uh, complaints that going back to 2020, 2022, I don't feel safe. And here's why I don't feel safe. Uh, they, 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 they expressed they didn't feel safe in, in meetings with Terry Golick, uh, the athletic director with Blaine Nichols, uh, sorry, Eccles, sorry, the, uh, the dean of students uh, with the assistant athletic director with an uh, office of civil rights person. Um, and they weren't heard, they weren't heard. And they they weren't heard until it, it unfortunately appeared in the Orange County Register. I mean, mm -hmm. um, the other thing that that I really have this is a reoccurring issue that, that I think is really damning of, of this whole culture uh, is that women are dismissed when they say stuff like this as drama queens, or women are just more emotional. Uh, oh, you know, it's all about one of the Idaho former assistant coaches. They were, it was all they're all emotional. She referred to them peeing down their leg the first because they, she, they played a lot of freshmen, so it was their first match and they were peeing down their leg. This 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 dismissiveness that this is, you know, this is an emotional woman. These are emotional women. Um, uh, you know, a, a, a man would never, you know, a college football player or a college men's volleyball they would player they would never say that. And it's 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 this this really deep sexism misogyny in college sports but in sports in general that women aren't heard they're dismissed and the thing that's really troubling to me about the idaho case and it was about the cow case is that uh, you and i've had discussions with Lori over the years and i think we're in agreement on this a big big freaking part of this problem is that there aren't enough lorries when you were president of usa volleyball there are enough women in power in in, in these sports there, there aren't women voices and i think it's it's important for women to have role models it's also important for for young boys to have women role models in sports and and, and it it can change our culture in a lot of different ways beyond the culture of sports what's really frustrating to me about the idaho case and the cow case is that the protectors, the gatekeepers, were women at at the University of California? The the number two person athletic department, the senior women's athletic director, was a woman, Jennifer Simon O'Neill, and she was repeatedly she repeat was re repeatedly approached by women with credible allegations of abuse by Terry Terry McKeever for years, and she dismissed them, uh, uh, blew them off, uh, basically said. 
Terry, Terry's a coach's Olympic champions. You're just a swimmer. And, and, and just, and so we got to the point where, where the women at Cal knew that, that the person who's going to protect them is not going to protect them. If these, in, in, in the case of, in the Idaho case, it's the same, it's the same, same situation. Terry Gallick is one of the most prominent women in college sports. She's on the, she's on the NCAA commission, which is basically the most powerful group of, of, of people in, at division one. She's, she's, one of a select few of women, sorry, men or women who who basically decide what goes on in, in, in Division One and NCA. Uh, she she was given the responsibility. She willingly took the responsibility to protect athletes, her athletes at the university. And these women have repeatedly gone to Terry. They, they provided her written written documentation, and and they've asked her for meetings, and she hasn't taken them seriously. And uh, uh, there's almost a, she's almost been, I've heard recordings of uh, meetings with her, with a, with a group of, of athletes in specifically about these allegations with, with Gonzalez. And when, when addressing the team as a whole, uh, after that, that our, our story came out, she's flippant, she's dismissive, um, uh, just uh, superficial. She's not, she's given them no indication that they're hurt. Uh, it's just kind of going through the motions. Um, this was a, a hire of hers. Uh, she made a big deal about it. She made a big deal that she could, she's former uh, administrator at University of Wisconsin. She, she made a big deal about how she consulted the Wisconsin uh, women's head coach who had just won the final four, if I, if I remember right. Uh, so she put a lot of, she put her seal of approval on this hire in a big, big way. And it's blown up on her. And it, it just, people in, the, in, in Moscow, uh, the players, they, they just get the feeling that this is about Terry protecting her image, protecting her brand, protecting her reputation, her her career at their expense. Um, so well, I think wouldn't those... it be her reputation um, and everything else? Wouldn't it be improved if she did take ownership of what has happened and she has said this is this was not a good hire. This is a uh, this is potentially a bad person. Let's remove this person from having interaction with the athletes and do a full unbiased investigation. Wouldn't that actually make her brand stronger? It, well, it totally would. It totally would. And and so she could do what Cal did, which was well, the day after our, our, our article came out on the Cal case with Terry McKeever, they put Terry McKeever on paid leave. They didn't fire. So this was in May of 2022. They didn't fire her until the end, the last day of January of 2023. At the very least, this is what you should do. Yeah, Terry could. She she would she would get her her reputation would would grow so much she would be in held in such high regard if she stepped up to the mic and said, you know what, I dropped the ball on this. I I should have known that it was it was well known in volleyball circles that he he had this pattern of behavior. This is how he coached. I was wrong. I was wrong. I took the word of somebody I tr trusted. Uh, I didn't do my homework. I let these women down. This is on me. I'm never going to let this happen again. I'm so sorry, and and move on. Instead, she she's basically the story comes out, and the first thing she does is go to the NCAA convention. Um, and this is one of the the biggest crisis in in well, it is this is the biggest crisis on, on, since she's been in Idaho. And look, I get it too. I mean, that community's gone through a lot. There was the murders last year. Uh, two years ago, in uh, November of 2022, where, where, uh, these students were murdered. Um, 
the community has been through a lot. Uh, so I know the university has been a little distracted by, by things and, and you know, the, the, the trials coming up, but um, yeah, Jeremy, you're totally right. It, her, she, she could have massively overhauled and, and improved, raised her profile uh, by, by doing the right thing. And, 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 but, but she hasn't. You know, that's that's really an important point because like we've all been in that situation. I, I myself, you know, I'm not I'm not innocent of making bad hire as well, right? But but usually when that happens and there's so much overwhelming, you know, evidence when you try to resolve the situation, you give the person an opportunity to, you know, to correct or you know, resolve. But but in this case, you know, what's what's so surprising is that you know, I was reading one of the follow up articles that you did that that the um, when the team returned of course, now they're out of season, right? They're in their spring, you know, training and the rules are slightly different, smaller group trainings and, you know, not as frequently. But I, I was shocked because, you know, I've been out of it for so long. You know, I, I read the article. It said that the athletes were scheduled to report to practice with this coach, right, that allegedly had, had you know, conducted all this abusive behavior against them for two seasons. And I had to read it twice. Or I just said, well, hold on a second. You know, if this was... Like if you and I were working in a workplace environment and, and I had a, you know, harassment claim or you had a harassment claim against me, like they would try to separate us, right? At least during the, you know, period of investigation, like try to keep the party and also to keep the party safe, right? To keep each party, you know, away or removed from the other party. But I couldn't believe what I was reading. And then I think the the article that came after that was that the athletes were able to seek an opt out you know, an opt-out um, clause or, or protective order, right? So they wouldn't have to be in, you know, one-on-one -on -one meetings. And we all know it's spring season, you know, the off season, right? This is a time for a lot of administrative work. You have academic reports, you have one-on-one -on -one meetings with your athletes maybe, or small group meetings, you know, that's a really tough environment for these women who already don't feel safe, right? They already have this detailed, you know, long two two seasons worth and however many countless number of players worth of detailed abuse allegations. And yet they're supposed to be expected to return to practice being supervised by the same person who conducted the abuse under the supervision of enablers who allowed the abuse to happen and with no basically no injunctive relief as far as, well, okay, you go or we pull your scholarship is kind of what it sounded like. I don't know if that was actually, you know, the case for them, but um, that, that to me, that, that part of it, you know, and Jeremy, like we talk about the, the culture that exists that allows that to happen is really the root cause of the problem, right? Put the, put the victims or, you know, in the hands of the abuser while this investigation is going on by a law firm that's, you know, however many thousands of miles away. Right. And I that mean, was hired by the by the university, that has right? The toxic and abusive culture. That's right. That's right. You know these these investigations, and we've seen. You know, Scott's covered a number of them, and we've seen a number of them. And I've been involved in one or two. It's like you you know that type of investigation is really not independent, even though that's what you know that's what it is um, labeled as, right? But the very fact, I mean, if if the goal of hiring and or you know a law firm like that or conducting what appears to be a third party you know outside independent investigation if the goal of that is to mitigate responsibility then why the heck would you put the the victims the reporting victims why would you put them under the supervision of the very individual that they're reporting right that's just that's just feeding them to the wolves 
you know, if you will, right? I mean, it's just you're asking for trouble if you're if you're recreating that environment. You're putting them even exactly in the same environment. Like most of the abuse, if you read in Scott's article, like you know, the the practices, the um, even matches, you know, even abuse during matches, or you know, the, and and the really horrific quote from the former assistant coach about them peeing down their leg, which I think is like not only vulgar but completely inappropriate, right, to characterize athletes or humans. But you're putting them right back in the same environment, even, you know, under the abusive coach in the hands of the enablers with no protection. And they're already have told you for months and months on end that we don't feel safe. Like, what is how are the women supposed to receive that? Right. (laughs) That action. I I don't know if we you know how how you know, how do we go forward? Right. From that. I'm not sure what the answer is to that, except don't (laughs) don't go forward in that case. Well, I, th- I think, Lori, you're right. I mean, it it gave these women, it sent the message to them that these people you're supposed to trust, people that are conducting the investigation, people are sanctioning the investigation. Your safety isn't your isn't their doesn't seem to be their number one priority. I, I these schools always it's all about the legal maneuvering. What's what puts us in the best possible position legally you know we're, we're going to get sued or we, you know who's going to sue us or what's our where, where's our legal exposure and in this case it seemed to me that your your most your, your biggest legal exposure is with these women and, and now you're going to put them back in that yeah. i'm not a lawyer obviously but it seems like it's it's bad legal advice to, to put them in you know in 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 the proximity to, to this guy um uh, I think the other thing that, that, that I think that it's kind of um, rattled the confidence of, of the women and, and people in the community, people that support them, is, is this is a Texas firm who has a history of defending schools uh, in, 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 in uh, sex abuse cases, this discrimination cases. So this is this is a case that, that sorry, this is a law firm with a reputation for putting out fires, not mm-hmm. and, and, and limiting legal mm-hmm. exposure. This is a law firm that represented Baylor in the um, the football sex scandal, where uh, Ken Starr, uh, the football coach at Baylor, all these people. Ken Starr was the president of Baylor. You know the the, the Lewinsky Clinton uh, special prosecutor um, who became the president of Baylor. All these people at Baylor knew about these sexual assaults, and they covered it up. They didn't address them. And then this this law firm was actually uh, had a complaint filed against it because during a deposition they were basically slut shaming uh, victims in, in, in these these rape cases of all these football players. So these Idaho players are having some questions of confidence in, in this law firm that they're are they are they trying to get to the truth or are they trying to cover Idaho's butt? In, in well, case of course, they're trying to to right. cover that. And the other thing is, is I'm sure they've probably told the women at some point uh, during all these complaints or, you know, to the public or someone, well, this coach also has rights. Like there has to be a thorough investigation. We have to make sure that that coach doesn't turn around and sue us. And right. So I'm sure they're hiding behind that as well as a, well, there's nothing we could do right now because there's no results from, from the investigation yet. Well, you know, what's interesting about that though, is that I I am a big believer. I'll tell you this. I'm a big believer in seeking legal advice, you know, from the people who know the law or they know, you know, the system. Right. So I am, 
I am one who has relied on that, but I also believe very wholeheartedly in the lawyers that have helped me through cases. Many of them are abuse cases and, and such. But those people who have given me advice, you know, in navigating would would use words like incompetence and gross negligence, you know, when when describing what's happening, you know, in, in, at Idaho with this situation, right? You never, never, right? If you're really honest and earnestly conducting a trauma-informed, you know, victim-centered, athlete-centered investigation, then you don't want to really put those victims and athletes back in, in the hands of their, you know, their accuser or their, the accused, right? It's, it's not good practice. It's not safe, right? And so it's really puzzling. I know a lot of people have been, you know, have been kind of like asking themselves like, well, wait, wait a minute. Why, why is he on administratively? Well, A, why didn't he get fired? Okay, fair enough. You got to have an investigation and do whatever. Well, then why isn't he on some kind of paid leave or, you know, some sort of like get, get him out of that situation as well, right? If you really want to look at this both sides, you know, issue, okay, well, great. If you're going to take that position that, oh, well, you know, the accused has rights and such, which they do, you know, okay, then take him out of the equation because it's not getting any better, right? Leaving him in this position. Because if, if you, you know, if you're a betting person, you're betting that, well, you know, there's probably some degree of retaliation going on as well, right? I mean, this is not the first time we've ever heard of an abuse case anywhere. And like we've said throughout this entire session, you know, you could be listening to this podcast or reading the article or seeing what's happening in Idaho, replace volleyball with any other sport, right? right? Replace Idaho with any other state or any other country in the world. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and this, this would still be, you know, something that, that, you know, needs to be addressed or actioned. And I feel like in this case, you know, the, yes, the law firm, you know, we can, we can, yeah, I'm, I'm as well aware, you know, why an independent third party law firm would be hired. But at the same time, I think, you know, some of the legal minds that are out there, some of them, some of them are parents of kids right now trying to make decisions on where to send their, you know, their daughter or their son, right? If they're going to send them to school to play sports or not to play sports, they have to be asking themselves like, okay, well, I'm probably thinking twice about any school, much less the University of Idaho right now, just based on the reaction, right? And, and again, I have talked to, you know, some parents that happen to be lawyers and they're using words like incompetence and gross negligence and, and you know, not even just a dereliction of duty. It's like absolute, unacceptable, litigious, you know, circumstance. They're, they're holding, they're creating more liability, more risk for the university by not addressing this problem more you know, more openly and in a more timely fashion. So, you know, I'm not a lawyer either, but that's why I rely on them, right? For that, you know, for that exactly. very expertise. Yeah, exactly. So, so I know we could talk about this for hours. Um, we, we truly could and, and, and for days, but, um, you know, we do have to unfortunately close this conversation up for, for today's episode. So Scott, we both would like to thank you so much for joining the culture and sports podcast today. And I really do hope we can bring you back as a, as a guest for a future episode during the season to continue to shine more light, uh, especially on the lived experience of the athletes um, uh, during this toxic and abusive culture. But before we do leave, do you have any closing comments or statements? Well, I think one of the things, so I think you asked at the beginning what's next right where's this go and so we're waiting on on the, the this uh, texas law firm to finish their investigation uh, i i think most people think that chris gonzalez can't survive this 
the question then is, does the athletic director survive this and does the president survive this? Um, and does does some president and athletic director down down the down the road when they this comes across their plate, do they what you Jeremy, what you talked about, Terry stepping up and, and doing the right thing and, and, and kind of rebranding herself? Do they do they do that? Um, because right now, um, Scott Green, the, the president of the university, he, he, he's basically on a book tour. He's got a, a book on leadership and how to be how to, 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 to be a leader as a college president. It's, uh, I don't remember the exact title, but it's something it's, it's about leadership and, uh, and something like how to be a successful college president. I'm, I'm butchering the title. He's out there promoting himself as this leader, you know, get out in front of stuff, something. And, and in the meantime, he's been we've heard nothing but crickets from him on, on this on this case. He's he's been he's been AWOL. So what when 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 the when this investigation is over, what happens? Is there you know, a lot of the parents have talked about they want accountability beyond Gonzalez because this has gone on for two years. And, and at the very least, you could have nipped it in the bud a year uh, in at the end of 2022. And a whole nother group of women wouldn't have gone through this. So how how I guess the question right now is. is how serious is Idaho about fixing this problem and holding people accountable? Or is it just going to be this is this is just one 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 bad apple? It's kind of like the Catholic Church, uh, where it's a cultural thing. So, it, it, are you just going to focus on one on a rogue priest, or are you going to focus on the people that that look the other way? And so that's what I think that's the, the decision facing Idaho is: do you, how much do you really want to change your culture? Because and if these people did enable him, which all our reporting suggests they did then are you really going to dig in and get to the, the roots of this issue? Or are you just going to say, we got rid of this guy and, and, and the same people can be there on and on and on. And again, I, I, I think we all agree that this is not just an Idaho issue. This is a larger cultural issue within sports, you know, that's this, this podcast. So are we going to, are we going to see the NCAA kind of come in and say, look, this has got to stop, you know, how, how do, are there, whether there's penalties we put in place or there's education, how, how do we change the culture? Uh, and not just at NCAA, but NGBs and everything. But yeah, it's, it's just as these women coming forward is impacting parents and, and, and kids that they don't know that, that, that aren't going to have to go through this because, because they came forward. At the same, at the same time, is some athletic director at, you know, the big 10 or, or, SEC or some division three school somewhere saying, yeah, this is going to be a pain in the ass for a couple of months. And I'm going to look like an idiot for hiring this guy or hiring this woman, but I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do the right thing for my kids. I'm going to do the right thing for my school. And I'm going to send them the message to my peers that this is how you do it. So there's an impact on what, 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 what is, what is the university of Idaho go forward? How do they go forward? And how do we as a culture within sports move forward the next time this Idaho okay then where's where's the next Idaho and, and and how do we how do we address it do we do we handle it in a way that that makes athletes feel heard and and and, and help them heal uh or do we just go through this whole cycle again where you hire a you know the, the law firm to cover your ass and, and uh um and you fire the coach and, and you move on. 
uh, do, you, do I guess Jeremy? I guess I guess this is the bottom line. This is this to me. This is the question: Do you protect the brand, or do you protect protect the athlete? And it's just it's as simple as that. And that's a wrap for this week's episode of the Culture and Sports Podcast. We hope that this episode has started an internal dialogue, or even one with your team, about the importance of leadership and organizational culture. If you'd like to learn more about culture and sports, the Culture and Sports Podcast, or other programs, go to cultureandsports.com, where there is a wealth of resources, articles, research, podcasts, video shows, webinars, and courses. And don't forget to connect with us on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, and LinkedIn at Culture and Sports, and on Twitter at Culture in Sport. Thank you for tuning in to the Culture and Sports podcast.